Welcome to the Meditation Conversation. I'm your host, Kara Goodwin, and today I'm joined by Ina V. and Howard Lipp. Ina and Howard are sacred musicians and spiritual guides who are dedicated to assisting others with their awakening. They've been on the path of healing, recovery, and awakening for over 25 years. And their tools are sound and plant medicine, which they've woven together to forge their path to embodying higher consciousness. And they have a new album that's being released uh, in the coming days, this week, I think, called Sono Ceremonia. So welcome, Ina and Howard. It's so nice to have you here. Thank you, Kara. Thank you for having us. It's great to be here. It's great to be here, Kara. Nice to see you. Good to see you. So let's Just start with your background. If you don't mind sharing about your spiritual journey, I know that you both kind of were raised in traditions that um, you broke away from at some point. Um, So would you like to start there? Sure. Sure. You want to go ahead? Go ahead. Okay. (laughs) He's he's such a gentleman. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, the... Our origin story is is a, a powerful story that we all carry, and it is definitely one that brought Howard and I together because our our stories, while in some ways on the surface different, they are very similar. And I was raised in a religious home in a religious community, um, fundamentalist Christianity. Went to Christian schools, went to Bible studies three, four times a week. I was steeped in the community and there was a lot of music in our community as well. I think the church I grew up in had two different record labels. And so, yeah, yeah, there was so much music was coming out of the early days of the hippie movement is when it started. And so there was just a lot of musicians and a lot of really actually great music. And I went to a lot of nights of worship nights and from a little when I was a little girl. And um, so I grew up in, in this environment. I, we weren't allowed to watch television. I wasn't allowed to listen to music that wasn't Christian. Um, my, my father would, would sneak in um, Ella Fitzgerald and Billie Holiday and Frank Sinatra and some of the standards. Uh-huh. But um, yeah, I was raised in, in that all the way through college. And then uh, uh, when I graduated from my undergrad, I moved to Hawaii and the day I arrived in Hawaii, I had a major awakening. I met some friends there who had broken away from the church. And they asked me, the first night I was there at dinner, they asked me a very powerful question, which is, what if it's all a lie? And uh, that question sent me 
on a journey that for 25 years I've, I've been on since then and um, caused me to reevaluate and look into every belief and thought I've ever had and um, sent me on a on a journey also of some mental health challenges, depression and anxiety, um, because I was lost really outside of this community that I had been raised in and lost in what I believed. When, when my friend asked me this question, it was a powerful question. It pierced through my beliefs. I wasn't looking to leave, but this question awakened something in me. And, um, and I, I say this often, I feel like I'm still on, on the path. I'm still on the journey of awakening. Yeah. Uh, there's no end to it. There's no end point, really. You just keep <laughs> expanding, right? It's just, just keep expanding. Yeah. Yeah. So it took me to meet um, meditation. I, I started uh, meditating and working at a Buddhist retreat center as a chef and learning the different ways of Buddhist meditation and, and Vipassana meditation. And I worked with indigenous elders and medicine. This is still uh, in Hawaii. Well, no, after I left Hawaii, then I went okay. on this journey and uh-huh. yeah, sorry. And started just traveling the world and, and seeking wisdom from earth-based traditions from, from practices of, breath and meditation and awareness to working with indigenous elders and teachers and learning different medicine music as a tool and a way to connect with source through sound and through ritual and ceremony. So I, I went from being raised in the sky traditions of, of God and heaven and uh, spirit to really needing the grounding of earth, body, even sound um, as a bridge between the worlds. And so I, I sought nature and I sought contemplation and I sought inner wisdom and I sought direct experience with source, with presence, with the great mystery. And that eventually all my travels, I lived in many different countries and, and, and towns up and down the coast of, of California and Oregon. And it eventually brought me back to Southern California where I met Howard. We met in the music studio and we can pause there. <laughs> yeah. Take us up to that precipice and let Howard catch up. And then we'll, we'll go yeah. into how you both came together in this beautiful journey. Well, thank you for that. Howard, can you can you bring us up to speed on your background? Sure. I was raised in a very deeply <clears throat> religious, Jewish, conservative, observant home. My parents came from Orthodox homes. So we were engaged and they and they actually founded the synagogue that we belonged to. Oh wow. So we were involved in it every day. Mm. <clears throat> if I wasn't in Hebrew school, then I was at Friday night services, Saturday, Sunday. But in my life, in my in my upbringing, <clears throat> there was a lot of struggle. There was a lot of pain. There was a lot of emotional abuse. There was molestation. There was bullying, neglect, and all of that. And music was where I found my solace, both in the synagogue singing the ancient prayers, but also at home as a musician. Um, I started to play music at a very young age because it was the thing that kept me sane, and it was the thing I could I could surrender into to uh, 
to settle down and deal with my own fear, my own anxiety, my own depression. You know, and um, I was studying for my bar mitzvah, of course, as every good Jewish boy does. And uh, the rabbi I was working with was fired. And he was my buddy. He was my best friend. He was my connection to the faith, really. It wasn't so much that I was getting this great influx of connection so much as the connection was with him. He was my second dad. My dad traveled a lot. So when they let him go just before my bar mitzvah, I, I unplugged from it because my parents were training me in what they knew, as they said. But once I had this initiation, I was free to make my own decision. And that was the end of it for me. When he left, that was the last connection I really had to the faith, so to speak. And I went about my own way and eventually sought the God of science went to college, got degrees, really looking for that answer, that connection to where it comes from. Where did all of this come from? And science helped a lot, but it still didn't answer that one question. There's still that great mystery underneath it all. Where did it come from? You know, and eventually it led me to addiction because of my own struggles with my pain, alcohol, drugs. And uh, recovery helped me start to strip away. There was a meditation I'd I was in, in my first time in rehab, I had been introduced to Taoist work some years before, um, through martial arts, actually, my affinity for Bruce Lee and his connection to the Tao, (laughs) which was the first real concept of meditation or present moment or nature-based practice, not knowing that the practice that I was raised in, the Jewish practice that I was raised in, was actually an ancient Aboriginal earth-based practice. But it wasn't practiced that way in modern times because it had been abridged and adjusted um, to be acceptable to other faiths that had swing. So through this treatment center came the question of what are you really? If you're not your job, if you're not your money, if you're not your all of these things that we've identified with, what are you? And the answer that I came back with during this meditation, it was my first honest attempt at a meditation that wasn't intended for martial arts or athletic performance. And it shattered me. It completely did because when <clears throat> all of these things were taken away, there was nothing left. <laughs> and right around that time, I was introduced to plant medicine, which helped connect me to earth-based traditions, to shamans, to medicine men from various traditions, from Native American traditions, from South American, African, Indian. And uh, plant medicine opened the door for me to connect to something that felt more like the, quote, God I was told about, this great mystery, this great power underneath it all. And eventually that helped me strip away my work in music because by that time I was running a recording studio. I had been in the tech world, but, but went to my first love of music. And it was through the work with the plants that I let go of the kinds of music I was doing that was not serving a higher purpose and, and shifted to sacred, devotional, inspirational, uplifting, even fun, but nothing with a dark, negative, degrading, demeaning message. And it was shortly after that, that a mutual friend introduced us. Mm. I love that. So, so let's talk about how you guys came together and your beautiful story. <laughs> well, we had a friend who was 
finishing an album. It was a Kirtan album. And I had met him through playing in different yoga studios around town. And some people were asking for some recordings of my songs that I had been singing in Shavasana. So he said, well, I have this friend. Why don't you come meet him? He can help you record an album. So walked in and Howard and I met and it was, it was a powerful meeting. You know, we, we met with very similar shared love of sacred music. We met with a desire to bring a message that was uplifting to others. And when we met, it was this safety of connection. It was a safety of a a container where we could create and be vulnerable. We were professional in the beginning. The first few months we worked together, we really just kept it with the music and the producer-artist relationship. But there there was a deep friendship and also a deep trust that was building between us because of how deeply held these songs that I was creating with Howard, how they, what they meant to me, it was really my life story. And, um, and also the meditation songs and the mantra songs that we were creating were also very um, sacred to us and special. So it was, it was a beautiful way to begin a relationship and open the door for us, I think, to eventually explore a romantic relationship. But initially, we didn't start there, which was which was really beautiful because we could lay the foundation for getting to know one another creatively, emotionally, spiritually, platonically, um, and build that foundation for us. And then it came through in the creation process as well. Mm. That's beautiful. So... I'd love to explore further this uh, sa- this healing through sound. And, you know, there's a lot of science behind uh, sound waves and how they interact with us in our energetic layers. And I have a feeling specifically Howard may be kind of, this may be, you know, when you talk about your science background, this may be one of the the places where you're particularly interested. But can you can you shine some light on if there in case there is anybody who's unfamiliar with the capabilities of sound to heal, um, kind of how that works energetically or how it how it feels for you, how it moves through you that healing uh, via sound. Well, not to get too deep into the science behind it, but there are different frequencies that have a different effect on the human body. When you're making a song, the key that you write the song in has a different feel, a different emotional nature to it, the key of C versus the key of D or E or A. There are tones, and one of them that is the most grounding tone, you hear the monks chant it when they chant, Om, Mane, Padme, Hum. You hear it often... um, it's called the key of ohm, and it's slightly flat of a C sharp between the, the note of C and C sharp, and it is extremely grounding. And there's a scientific derivation of it, but it's basically the sound that the earth makes. The indigenous people from the far north, the Inuit, say you can still hear the earth make that mm, out where there's no civilization. Mm. 
So that's the sound of grounding. Then there are other tones that you can combine with it that have different effects on the body. One to impart energy, chi, which is a minor third. Um, there's actually a scale tone of these seven frequencies, which is the, the earth, chi, uh, the new moon, uh, the full moon, the sun, and the, the procession of the zodiac. And that makes a more or less blue scale. But the combination of these pitches have incredible effect on the body. So using the new moon with the ground opens, opens us energetically. Um, it's the sound of a power chord in rock and roll. Mm. Open chord where they're just plucking the first and the fifth. So it actually has that, that opening quality that allows the message to come in. So using these different combinations of tones, you can actually impart different energies and allow different transformation in the energetic system of the body. Whether you're applying them to points on the body, like um, tuning forks, or whether you're applying it to the entire being with a sound system, there is a definite capability of sound to impart an emotional state. Indian music has been using it for a long time. Their ragas for different times of the day have different energetic qualities. The melodies have a different uh, feel to them open, inquisitive, frightening, uh, solid and strong. And so these sounds have the ability to bring us present because one of the things that's most um, powerful about music is you can't be listening to the note that just went by or the note that's coming. You're in the moment you're in. And so when you're really taken by the music, you're really right here and right now. And that's one of the most powerful tools for healing that we can have with any process is being right here, right now. Mm. That's the basics of it. I love that. That really unlocked something within me when you talked about when you're in the music, you know, you're not, you can't linger, you can't hold on to that sound that was just there. You know, that's so true, that presence and the ability to... To keep us present, that's really, really profound. Thank you for that. I love it. You're welcome. So I suppose when you guys are collaborating, um, I know that there has to be some mindfulness about that and the scientific, you know, effect of everything. But I, I'm guessing it's a much more intuitive process. I'm curious about how much um, intention or you know, you're, you're putting into that science versus just like following a flow or being in a flow. Do you want to talk a little bit about your process? Oftentimes we'll pick a key for a song based on the energetic quality that we want it to have. Mm. So if we wanted to start with really bringing somebody in, we'll usually start in the key of C or in the key of Ohm, mm -hmm. which just brings us really present. And then whatever melodic forms build on top of that, of course, play into all the different relationships of the tones and their effect on the human psyche. But one of the things we have learned through our work uh, with plants also and um, in our own sacred and devotional experiences from childhood is that these melodies carry a certain energy and a certain quality. So the melodies that we bring through, which come from the work that we've done in the altered states and with the plants, is... Melodies have a power to also open and to also bring up emotional and or egoic challenges that we have. 
And so those melodies are more intuitive than they are planned. Mm. That's where the intelligence of intuition is the most important part in creating the music, ultimately, for us. We don't really sit down with a sheet of paper and chart it out on staff. Mm -hmm. Uh, Oftentimes, we'll start with a rhythm or we'll start with a piano and just have an idea or maybe a flute. Yeah, or I'll have a melody that I've been humming or song that I've been playing with. And, you know, I think between the two of us, there's this nice balance because if it's feeling more intuitive in the beginning process coming from me, say, I'll come in and then Howard can help channel and help shape it and ground it in in a little bit with some different instrumentation. Or if Howard's coming with a melody on the piano, often I can riff with that and and play with a lyric or uh, tweak some of the melody that's going on. So we have this interplay between us. And then also, you know, with our album that's being released in a few days, it was a very different process recording this album than, say, the past albums that we've done. Um, not to say that the, that the past albums that we worked on were done willy-nilly or anything. They were all done with intention and and passion and joy. But this particular album, they are a compilation of songs we've been singing for years. Um, some, some of these songs I've been singing for almost 20 years um, in ceremonial environments, in sacred rituals, in prayerful intention. And so when we started working on this album, it's sort of half songs are indigenous traditional songs and half of them are original songs, but the traditional indigenous songs are really infused with our own melodic take and interpretation, but they were the guides. The songs became the guides for us. If there was anything going on in our minds or you know, there was any kind of, I don't want to say conflict between Howard and I, but just sort of if it, if the song wasn't working or we were trying to push it, it was really clear we needed to stop, mm-hmm. but down the project, step back, get clear, and then come back to the project again. Because this album versus all the other albums um, and even other projects we've been working on, well, it just really felt like it was a ceremony. So we wanted these songs to be created and to be experienced by others for a healing, elevating, transformational intention and journey. So that's very different when you're sitting down going, no, I want it to sound like this, Mm -hmm. you know, that when the mind or the ego, the personality is saying that we try to leave our egos and personalities at the door, but you know, they creep in sometimes (laughs) being human as we are. Right, um, right. You know, but the songs were really the guides for us. And there were a few songs during the process that we we thought weren't going to make it on the album. And we had worked a long time on them and they were just not feeling like they fit within the flow of the of the grouping of songs. So we stripped the songs down to their bare bones, which was hard to do after lots of hours of working on them and musicians playing on them, et cetera, stripped them down to the bones and reworked them again. And I think part of that was the fact that we were working on this completion of this album during COVID. Mm. 
And it was just clear that some of these songs had a different purpose now and a different sound that was needed. And we were listening and are listening. And when they were complete and finished, they were better than they were originally. But to go through that process of letting it all go is uncomfortable and challenging and sometimes frustrating. And, uh, you know, but that's because my ego gets involved and I want it to sound or be finished or look like this or go in this direction or be done already. Yeah, Yeah, we had a different idea of what we thought this record was going to be, a collection of songs that came from the ceremonial experience. But it became very clear that this wasn't supposed to be songs from the ceremonial experience, that it was supposed to be a ceremonial experience. And so that really dictated taking out certain types of production for songs and going with something that was much more atmospheric and ambient and natural and organic. And so the stripping away was painful only for a moment because very, very quickly it was like, yes, yes, that's what needed to happen. Thank you. Yeah, that's beautiful. So it's... What's beautiful also with the new album, Sono Ceremonia, is the, uh, the variety that you've, you've taken. And I know with ceremony, you know, that will be a very earthy experience. I mean, and etheric as well. But, you know, one of the things that um, comes to mind when I'm considering the album is, you know, your, al- your song that it, it's main instrument is rain you know taking the elements and and kind of using that as a powerful backdrop is it it really creates a a very different experience and and really holds the space for for ceremony and for um for contemplation meditation um, I know that you you mentioned that you were uh, the intention is kind of for the listening of the album to be an experience to kind of help along a journey and you've deliberately and intentionally kind of put that flow so that it it guides an experience which is amazing and as i shared with you before also it's great for making tacos i found (laughs) it's a (laughs) great backdrop for infusing like beautiful energy into (laughs) food so it's (laughs) multi-purposeful wonderful yeah i mean it's definitely celebratory there are Mm -hmm. there are all kinds of different emotions that it evokes one of the things, as you mentioned about inviting nature, is that what we have both discovered and continue to discover in working with plants and working with sound is that sacred sound, you know, it, it cuts through everything. Your language, your beliefs, your where your um, country of origin, your identity, really you don't even have to understand the words we're singing because there's so much that's carried on the current of sound. Mm. And so there's the sound that we hear through the melodies and through the instrumentation, but there's also the sound of nature. And we have learned so much through the plants and through nature 
And what we are continually learning and awakening to is that we are nature. So when we hear the sounds of nature and we hear sounds of music and um, melodies, it's awakening in us our authentic nature. So this is a real strong desire of us, of ours, with this music is to invite the, the listener to come on a journey both within but also to remember who they are, that that they, that we are all born out of this earth. We will return to this earth in our physical form, that our essence is of the cosmos, is of nature. The song that you hear the birds singing is the sound of our voice, is the breath of the wind, is the is the is the wetness of the rain. It's all interrelated and connected. And so to weave that through the soundscape for us feels almost second nature because that's where we have learned so much of our own inspiration and inner guidance and also musical guidance is through nature. Oh, it's beautiful. And I'm curious when you talk about the the plants as well and how they've been such an integral guide as you've you know you've had this interwoven path of sound and plants that has carried you quite far in your own growth and then also allowed you to be guides for others to help awaken um, deeper levels deeper um, connections within themselves, um, those two tools together, I'm curious about how they have worked together or, because I, I've heard you, heard you talk as well about the plants kind of opening up for you flow, you know, that, that then gets reflected in the sound, like the plants kind of, um, carry you and present something for you. Would you like to talk a little bit about that? Yeah. I'm the plants, you know, before I met plants as medicine, I don't think I would have ever said the plants taught me this. Mm, yeah. <laughs> I, I think I would have thought maybe someone was crazy if they said that truly, I think I would have had judgment because I'm not, not a negative judgment, just what are they talking about? <laughs> But, you know, in working with plants as master teachers, really, um, that I have become a forever student because they have opened not only in my heart, but also my mind. And they've taught me how to sing. They've, they've given me so many songs. Um, they continue to give me songs. And these songs, I call them surgical tools in many environments. It's almost like a doctor when you're in a hospital and the doctor's in surgery. They're using their surgical tools. Well, often it's like being in emotional trauma surgery in some of the work that we do. It's using the sound as a tool to go in and sort of it's anesthesia for the mind in a way. It's calming and quieting the mind and all the stories. It's not numbing the mind. It's not telling the mind to be quiet or dismissing, it's just bringing the mind's attention to the sound so that the deeper inner work of the, of the soul can be returned to its wholeness, remember its original self. The mind gets in the way so much, and we all notice if we go to a concert, you know, we're, we're transported 
we listen to a song and it, and it brings us back to high school or brings us back to a moment when we, we met someone or maybe to a, a wedding or the moment that you received a promotion or something. You know, song music has this powerful ability to help us mark moments in our life. But when sound is used as a healing modality, it can return us and awaken us to our authentic nature in a, in a really powerful way. And the plants are a tool, one of many, that can act as a way in, which is basically turning our mind, uh, the machinery of the mind, slowing it down, allowing us to be a witness, allowing us to be the observer, allowing us to follow the breath, and then we can start to heal. Because mm. the mind will come in and say, no, 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 here's the story, here's this, here's that. Right. And protect or di- distract or divert. Yeah. And, and sound helps to carry. You know, when a baby's crying, you have a rattle. And you, you, you rattle or you sing or you pat the back of a baby. Mm-hmm. And it starts to be soothed. Mm-hmm. It's very similar in some of the work we do. Some people call the work that we do the the cosmic nursery, <laughs> oh. <laughs> because um, swaddling you know, there's the sound. <laughs> <laughs> yes, at, at times, and and being surrounded by a lot of crying too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I can... <laughs> so. I'm curious as well about you, you were kind of mentioning when I asked the last question about sound and plants and that, um, you know, if you, if somebody had said something like that to you years ago, you might think that they're crazy. Um, and you know, we are, we have entered this next age, you know, the age of Aquarius and there has been seemingly you know, pretty big awakening among people that has opened uh, a lot of possibilities of things that maybe they wouldn't have taken into consideration um, earlier, you know, a few years past. I don't know. I'm curious with your work because it is in, it is centered in kind of alternative sort of modalities like, like plants and sounds. Are you, I think you would be, you're kind of on the razor's edge of that, like on the the forefront. Um, have you also noticed like, as just like your own, um, your own experience and your own relationship has, has certainly changed with those modalities. Um, if you're also perceiving that out, you know, with, in the masses, if you're perceiving a shift as well? Well, I'd say yes. There is definitely, on the one hand, a great many people who are starting to wake up. Mm-hmm. And on the other hand, a great many people who are doubling down on their beliefs out of fear. Well, yeah, there's. that's a good point, yeah. But, but the beauty of the awakening that's happening is that it's tipping towards an avalanche, where as more people start to question the narrative, you know, two of the most important things I like to think of for myself and remind myself of is to question everything I think I know and to question everything um, I think. Because that that is the nature of being aware, is actually not just taking every thought that comes and not just believing everything that people have always believed just because they believed it. 
And the beauty of that, of course, is that there's a possibility in that, right? The moment I begin to question something I've held is true, it doesn't necessarily destroy the truth of it, but it, it makes me more aware. It's like going through your closet and intentionally choosing everything that you love and letting go of everything that you don't. It's the same. The same thing with thinking. It's the same thing with beliefs. Question them because you can. And because in there, there's deeper truth. And this is, this is what we've been finding is that more people, even people who have been working in alternative modalities, are beginning to question more and more a lot of the things that they have taken at face value. And as culture does that, of course, we see people waking up. This is one of the reasons why we see extreme religiosity falling, even though the number of people who claim to be spiritual and believe in some power greater than themselves, some great mystery, increasing. It's, in, it's gone quite a big shift in, in my lifetime, mm-hmm. um, probably close to 20% from actually being, quote, monotheistic or some religious doctrine to claiming spirituality without any religious, quote, doctrine affiliation, which is the beauty of the nature of the great mystery is we all are that. We all are an emanation of that. So as we start to question what we've been told and start to settle into the what if, what if, what if none of it was true as that question that was asked for her? Right. And so as people start to realize that what has been, quote, the way we've always believed is no longer working, they're starting to look within rather than outside. Right. And that's one of the amazing things with plant medicine is that experience, you know, that uh, experiential. You talked about it earlier, Howard, about when you are, you know, everything that you identify with is just dissolving. Ramdas talks about it in his first LSD experience where, you know, he literally was watching himself disappear. I mean, he was watching his physical form disappear. And what was he left with? He was left with this awareness, but he literally was experiencing this disintegration. But what it did to him, I mean, it just exploded his concept of what is happening here. There's an amazing new book out right now, The Immortality Key. Have you? I'm listening to it right now. I mean, not as we're talking. You have my full attention. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not also on Audible while we're talking. (laughs) But it goes into exactly what you were just talking about with this, um, you know, this shift in spirituality versus religion and how plants, um, how they, you know, the ancient... uh, the ancient practices and how modern um, modern religions, you know, may have been built on these ceremonies from you know ancient times, and and that there you know there are different brews that have been discovered, you know, through time, and it's it's really interesting. I'm like a tiny bit of the way through it right now, but I just it's a lot of things that you're saying are hitting home because of of what's reinforced in that book. It's a very academic look at it. The author actually um, is, how does he put it? He's a plant virgin. He's never actually partaken, but he did like a decade's worth of research um, on it. So it's amazing. But 
Yeah, Terrence McKenna has a similar book uh, called Plants of the Gods. Food of the Gods. Or Food of the Gods. Mm. And it's a very scientific book as well, but it's mostly focusing on mushrooms. Um, but he, he just speaks about how the early religion, the matriarchal traditions, the earth-based, the uh, communal way of, of living in, in raising children, in being in relationships even, of being deeply connected to the rhythms of the earth, the cycles of our bodies, of ecstatic stages and spaces that we can experience as well as ritual and tradition. It's, it's in our history. It's actually in the roots of the earth. You know, Mm -hmm. Howard talks about the, the neural the neural network of the planet. Uh, yeah, the neural network of the planet is in the soil. Yeah. You know, we walk around with our heads above the ground. The plants put their heads in the ground. Their neural network is in the ground. So it's in the food. That that understanding and wisdom is in the food we eat. It's in the air we breathe. It's in the plants we ingest. It's in our bodies. It's in our knowing because we are of that same neural ancient network too. But we have forgotten because... Our culture and ideologies and institutions, they don't point us to inner knowing. When when people would have the inner knowing, they would be burned at the stake or they would be cut off at the head or they would be abolished from society, abolished from society. So there's there's that that history um, that has haunted all of us as humans, but also, you know, there's the internet that is available to us now. So we have all this access to information from anecdotal to scientific that we didn't have 20 years ago to the level of accessibility that everyone has it today. Mm-hmm. And so when people would talk about information, it would be under the breath or in certain circles of people, or people would think, that, you know, Timothy Leary was a crackpot or something when he's doing some research about, you know, changing the way you think, opening up your mind, opening up your heart. That was that was seemed to be out there and marginalized, very threatening to the status quo, of course. Mm -hmm. And so now what they're doing is through research and and studies based on what indigenous cultures and tribes have been working with for thousands of years is they're seeing, oh, we're just slowly catching up in the Western world to the ancient ways of knowing um, and seeing the scientific benefits, but also seeing the emotional benefits, the physical benefits, the neural benefits on our mind, body, and spirit that plants can have and that they offer. Um, so yes, the tide is changing, but I think it's also it's accessibility to information. Right. It's, it's accessibility to plants as medicine that you don't have to go somewhere in a secret cave and, you know, you can have it in your backyard, so to speak, and, and awaken. I had a very similar experience to Ram Dass in a journey. Yes, I did, where I was shown my body, I am not my body. Mm-hmm. My body was taken apart and brought to these different spaces and places and and I was left with, well, then who am I if I'm not my body and I'm not my story and I'm not my name and I'm not my family and I'm not my planet and I'm not this and I'm not that. What and who am I then? Oh, I'm the one that's 
this energy, this knowing, the one that knows, the one that sees, that's what I am. And how powerful is that to have that actual experience versus somebody's interpretation of words in a book that, you know, I mean, it's, it's that experiential piece. It's life altering. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. The transpersonal nature of that kind of an experience that gets us out of our own mind is priceless. I mean, my first experience was very similar where I felt my body literally die and it's like, well, but if my body's just died, then what's this? (laughs) that is still aware of what's happening in the world and in the other world with the, without the meat suit. Whoa. (laughs) Right. Cause that, that was really baking for the potato. Cause that's part of what we've learned is that this thinking bit is just a construction. It's not me. Mm. And that transpersonal experience allows you to pull away from that mind far enough and long enough to go, wait a second, that's not me. This is, whoa. And everything else just starts <clears throat> to fall like a dominoes. You start to see differently. You see relationships differently. You see history differently, your own and that of the collective. You see how we treat nature differently, how we treat each other. You know, things just clarity begins to open because we begin to see through a different lens. We're not seeing through just the lens of our stories as much or our history, our past, our pain. We're seeing more in the present with clarity and wisdom. We're we're viewing, we're looking through our viewfinder of our bodies, so to speak, with presence, which is a very different perspective. So yes, it's shifting the culture and it's shifting the paradigm, I believe, of the common acceptable paradigm because it's being infused everywhere. You see articles in magazines or television shows or well, Johns you know, conversations. Yeah, Johns is, Hopkins is Stanford. Research. Right. right, right. And they're finding incredible uh, practical application as far as anxiety, but particularly... Um, you know, people who are dealing with uh, near mortality. What, no, what's the word that I'm looking for? Like end of life. End of life. Yes, where they're struggling with this. You know that they're they've got a disease that that's going to take their life soon, and there's so much anxiety and so much um, incompleteness. You know, and fear, and then one one dose, one session completely relieves it you know and and it does and there's and at least this one anecdotal thing I mean it was a true story but this one that I listened to in the book that I mentioned um you know this woman is an atheist and then she has what she herself is calling a god experience because she has no other way to explain it she continues to be an atheist she doesn't need to have another dose you know she's like I don't need to do it again but she feels Like there's so much resolution in that one episode. I mean, so much healing and so much, um, you know, calmness and reprieve. And I mean, it's uh, that's powerful, really powerful when you're facing your own mortality that way. And then you feel that 
really amazing. Yeah. Well, part of the power of that is that the end of life story that we've been told is terrifying. Mm. Right. At the end of it, you're going to be judged and you're either going to the good place or the bad place. Mm. When the fact is we, we come into this understanding that this great wheel emanating from the great mystery is here loving and supporting all of life in perfect balance. And that, you know, as Terence McKenna said, you come from realms of unimaginable power and light and you will return to those realms. Not as the, not as the wayward child who's going to be judged for their actions, but actually as an emanation of that very origin coming home, which is a very different way to see end of life. Right. Yeah. And also, Kara, you know, I think that when we do these practices, like in Shavasana, you know, why do they call it the corpse pose? You know, we're practicing death. So full surrender. After all the work, we lay down and we let go. We're integrating also, and we're letting go. Plants help us die before we die in the sense that we surrender now while we're still alive in the body, we're practicing letting go, letting go of everything that's keeping me from being the full aliveness that I am. And it's not just Ina's aliveness. You know, the aliveness in me is the aliveness in you. It's the aliveness in Howard. It's the aliveness in the rain you're hearing on the album. It's, it's life. So it's uniquely expressed in me and you and Howard and the rain, but it comes from the same source. And I think one of my biggest healings with plant medicine and sound was that it was a leveling playing field for me. It was a healing invitation that said, come in to this consciousness, if you will, this space of energy. All are welcome. There is no one who knows more or less. There's no one who has more power or less. There's no right or wrong. It's, it's that field that Rumi talks about that we, we hear that quote all the time used everywhere, you know, outside of right doing and wrongdoing. There's a field. I'll meet you there. And it's interesting that Rumi uses the analogy of nature. Mm. Come into the field. Come into the nature, the natural realms, and let's meet there because in nature, all is balanced. Destruction, creation, Death, birth, life, reinvention, you know, it's all there, all the elements. And we have that too, but we've become so separated from it for a variety of reasons, too many to name in this brief conversation. So the plants help build that bridge of separation, inviting us back to home, really, not to follow the plants, not to worship something else. The indigenous elders I worked with said the same thing. We're not here to teach you to follow us or even our tribe's traditions or ways of being. We're here to reflect back to you, to help remind you of who you are so you can remember and go walk in that good way, a good way of being connected to your, our authentic self. And I think, you know, sound and plants, breath, sacred intentional movement, 
all of these things can help point us back to remembering who and what we are. That's beautiful. I love that. And, and it, um, it makes me want to offer space here for you to share um, ways that people can interact with you. So how, because there's so much wisdom, there's so much love, there's so much coming through, um, you know, being carried on your voice. And I know that you do have offerings. So we, of course, you have your album coming out, Sono Ceremonia, which comes out. Uh, it will be out by the time this episode is released. Um, and you have offerings as well. So if people want to work with you, how can, what, what are some of your offerings? Well, we have a website, inanhoward.com, and, and, you know, part of our biggest passion is to assist people, friends, tribe, community, to integrate what they're learning in a yoga practice, in a, a plant ceremony experience, in a spiritual retreat experience, or in everyday life challenges. We created a group called the Source Course Circle where we integrate life's experiences with presence, with sound, with meditation, with ceremonial uh, work online, you know, in, in, a, in a different way, a different form. And we do this because we see that you can have these experiences. You can go to a yoga retreat and have an amazing heart open experience. And then you come home and it's like rent and life and work and gas in the car and wiping your kid's runny nose and all, all the stuff that come, goes into being human. How do we integrate what we're learning? How do we practice the tools that, we're, that we've been given? So we offer a number of ways to do that on our website through our Source Course community. Um, I offer a meditation community that we meet twice a week, practicing presence and, and meeting on the breath, and also through our music and sound and and other ways in which we're creating. We also offer one-on-one -on -one work with people who want to get really deep into it as well. And this is new for us, Kara. You know, we've been working um, within our community for many years. And since COVID, we really felt compelled and inspired to start coming out and sharing what we've been learning, offering opportunities to support other people in a larger context. Um, and, so, you know, it's been a real invitation for us, too, to step up and open and, and start sharing in a, in a bigger way, just meaning outside of our community that we've been curating and cultivating for many years. Right. Because you guys were on the road all the time until COVID happened. So that, that you have a big, you had a big pivot in that, okay, what's the new opportunity here? <laughs> Yeah, so talk about another stripping away. You know, it was right. literally like, oh, there goes our arm, there goes our leg, right. there goes our head, <laughs> yeah. there goes our, okay, well, who are we now? And, yeah. and interestingly enough, as much as we thought we were not identified with some of the things that we were doing, we were to some degree um, attached to it anyway of how it looked or how we were doing things. It was comfortable, familiar. It was We were passionate about it. We still are. But really again, practicing that dying before we die, letting it go. Mm. It's not who we are. And when we let it go, then we open to 
new possibilities, if we don't let it go and we cling to the old and we want it to be the way it used to be, then we miss out on all this beauty that we never could have experienced or even imagined if we hadn't have opened ourselves to the possibility of infinite experiences. So as scary as it is to say yes to the unknown, we have together and separately experienced many incarnations and and rebirths and pivots. This is a big one and it's another one on, on the road. So we're saying yes. And thank you, Kara, for saying yes to, <laughs> to sharing our story because this is part of this is part of saying yes for us is sharing with you and and others. Oh good. Well, it's been it's been beautiful. I'm so grateful for your work and for for being here with me today and with our listeners and and um just keep keep shining your your brilliant lights. Thank you. Oh. Thank, Thank you, you so much, Kara. And you keep shining your beautiful light too. Thank you for the work you're doing and for having us here today and giving us an opportunity to share our story. It's really a joy and a blessing to speak with you. Thank oh, you. Wonderful. Thank you so much. And so you've been listening to Ina V and Howard Lip on the meditation conversation today. Thank you for listening and be sure to check them out. They've got their new album that's out Sono Ceremonia and you in fact are listening have listened to a couple of those tracks on this podcast as well so it's really beautiful and I hope you'll go and check that out and also their website at enanhoward.com where you can learn more about them and their offerings so thank you again for listening please share this episode you can rate review subscribe All of that is so helpful. So thank you again, and I look forward to the next meditation conversation.